Hello and welcome to this podcast series which explores the recently published book, A New Dynamic 2. The book looks at effective systems in a circular economy and contains 11 articles which span a variety of fields, including architecture, agriculture, design, business and engineering, providing insights that point towards a new regenerative framework for economic prosperity. My name is Colin Webster and I work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation who published the book. Our agricultural system is under greater strain than ever before. The growth of global grain yields has fallen behind global population growth and artificial fertilisers and pesticides are reducing the soil's ability to renew. We need to take a new direction, says today's guests Martin Stukti and Morten Rossa of the McKinsey Centre for Business and Environment. Now before we start, let me say that this call was recorded over the phone with Martin based in Germany and Morten was calling in from Ethiopia. So in this interview, Martin Rosa and Martin Stukti will argue that we can change our agricultural system to reap many rewards, which include embracing a €320 billion Euro opportunity. But before we get onto the good stuff, um, Martin and Morton, you write that in 2010, for the first time in a century, the growth of global grain yields fell below that of the global population growth. And on top of that, you write about how huge quantities of food is lost before it reaches consumers, that there's significant volumes of wasted water and fertiliser, that natural capital is being degraded, nutrients are not being recovered, all part of our um, existing agricultural system. Tell me, why on earth did we come to develop an agricultural system like that? Well, if I may get started, uh, Colin, uh, because uh, it has been uh, uh, hugely productive and uh, it came with a lot of progress and it helped us uh, to almost uh, entirely uh, overcome hunger. So we are still in the midst of an enormously um, exciting development of of, um, uh, an agricultural sector that has been growing continuously and has in fact been able to um, keep pace with the population growth and also um, the the growth and the differentiation and the advancement of uh, our diets. Uh, So that is something we must celebrate. Uh, At the same time and increasingly we have seen that that came at a cost and uh, it's time now at latest uh, to call out these costs. Um, these costs have to do with the, uh, uh, how we're doing harm to the environment, how we are not producing the kind of quality um, that uh, we uh, deserve and uh, that uh, health deserves. And um, we <clears throat> essentially have built a system where there is enormous waste built into it, which we currently have been unable to address. In the past, that was very much a, uh, something that you should uh, be aware of and should be concerned about if you looked at it from an environmental perspective. It's not that anymore. It's a a huge economic challenge and the numbers that you've named is that for the first time population growth has outpaced um, the yield increase that we have in some um, um, cash and uh, staple crops is in fact an indication of that. So we are um, almost going through sort of we, we have exhausted our land to an extent that the productivity of our biosystems of our land um, is suffering and it's in a way that's hitting our economy not just the environment it's almost a Malthusian moment if you want um, uh, in the past we had Malthusian moments and we got through it and we might get through it again in the past we got through it because we found the right answer and again we have to find the right answer in just intensifying uh, 
agriculture, we are truly believing is not the right answer. So on to you then, Martin. Um, Martin's talking about the right answers, and you outlined some approaches in the chapter that sound really interesting. You tell us a little bit about um, how you would change agriculture if you had the magic wand. Yes. Uh, so I think what we are talking about is a new approach uh, that is basically circular in, in in its nature, and where we enhance uh, the natural stock instead of depleting the natural stock. And when we do put uh, natural capital into the system, we make sure that we get as much use of it as, as possible um, and that we mitigate the negative externalities in that process. We have, we have formulated that around a new framework, which uh, we believe can sort of reshape the food system that is called Resolve. And then those six different levers that are quite powerful, in particular if you put them together. Um, first one is sort of talking about regenerate. And here really it's about regenerating and restoring natural capital. For example, our soils that is so important to our food system. Um, there are many companies out there that is trying to do so at the moment. And uh, we believe that the sort of whole soil science and the regeneration of natural capital, including forest systems, is something that will really be a core ingredient of how to do business in the 21st century. The second uh, lever is around sharing. Um, we see that the sharing economy is something that is taking fast speed across, uh, let's say, the more material aspects, but actually also in the food industry we can be better at sharing uh, resources, for example, equipment, as, as quite a number of different companies are doing at the moment and producers. We also talk about optimize, um, uh, and uh, which is more of sort of a, a, a better way of doing things in, in the in, in more efficient way. And here there's a lot of IT systems that are coming in place in, in the food system, for example, IT and, uh, or big data that is really interesting and can help us reduce some of those wastes that Martin talked about before. Then we talk about looping um, and, for example, biochemical extraction and anaerobic digestion, which is really something that is using the nutrients again and reconnecting the sort of broken link between cities and farm would be something that is going to completely transform how we see uh, agriculture and the food system uh, perform uh, in, the two, in the coming decades. We also talk about some more, let's say, um, uh, uh, new uh, areas around virtualization and exchange, which is basically taking very resource-heavy processes and substitute them through uh, deliver utility virtually or deliver uh, those same sorts of uh, resources in a, with a better sort of, with a better resource input. So selecting our resource input more sustainably. Uh, sustainably. Uh, so these sort of six different levers across the resolve framework is where we think that the, that the new uh, food system will, will look into. Excellent. So I'm really, I would like to pick apart some of um, some of those uh, levers you were talking about there. Let's let's concentrate on one of them just now. You talked about looping, that um, we should be reconnecting links between the cities and the farms. How, how would that work in practice? I mean, currently uh, we have to recognise that uh, our uh, increasingly intensified agriculture 
depends heavily on mineral and synthetic uh, fertilizer, and that a lot of that actually doesn't return to the field. One of them is phosphate. Uh, phosphorus is, uh, uh, if you want, it's a, it's a rare element, particularly if you look at the different sources around the planet. There's one country, Morocco, which is uh, almost uh, uh, monopolizing uh, such an important resource. If we, long before we see peak oil, we probably see peak phosphorus, and currently we don't have a good way of how to recover phosphorus and bring it back to the field. It's the other way around that we put um, excessive phosphorus onto our fields. It's being uh, washed away, and the runoff then is creating dead zones, both in rivers and in uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the open sea. Uh, and uh, then we are uh, allowing ourselves the luxury of uh, not recovering it out of our nutrient stream. Um, there is increasingly an, uh, quite a promising industry researching and operating in the space of phosphorus recovery uh, and uh, being able to do that uh, and returning it uh, to, to the feed as fertilizer would be uh, one very uh, prominent example of how to close the loop. The same thing goes for food waste which can be turned uh, um, in anything between compost, fertilizer and energies for anaerobic digestion um, and we would have to look at every single nutrient that's uh, coming off the field uh, into the food cycle and ask the question how to make sure that this is A, not contaminated, which is currently happening in our sewage systems in an uh, um, uh, increasingly um, uh, uns uh, unsustainable way, and uh, how we can separate it out. The good thing is technology is on our side. We have a lot of uh, tailwind uh, technologies uh, uh, to separate and then uh, rededicate uh, nutrients is increasingly coming into the money. That's a huge opportunity to live in a closed loop rather than in a system where we are 100% dependent on mineral and uh, synthetic fertilizer, which is a very uncomfortable um, situation for mankind to be in. So, in, in a simplified uh, response or summary, would be that we've currently have a linear system where the nutrients are flowing from, say, the countryside into the city, and you want to close that loop so those nutrients go back um, into agricultural fields in a way that um, uh, frees us up from using synthetic fertilizers. Absolutely. It's one way of doing it. There are other ways, of course. So one way is uh, to have the nutrients in the city in the first place. I think we, have a, um, we are only starting to understand the opportunity of garden agriculture and of urban farming. Um, which uh, uh, not only is a way to boost productivity, so if we have greenhouses, if we have hydroponic systems, if we have multi-story vertical greenhouses, uh, you can have a 5x or 10x productivity over every drop of water and over um, the, uh, uh, the the fertilizer that you apply, you would have an opportunity to bring CO2 back into photosynthesis, uh, which has been the missing link in, in the carbon age, and there is a much bigger story unfolding of how you can actually bring work, um, both uh, um, um, primary uh, sector work, but also subsistence work back into our communities, uh, which is increasingly a challenge for our societies to, um, uh, <clears throat> to live in a highly mechanized and automized world where um, uh, parts of population feel unable to participate, uh, and a more diverse city economy with agricultural elements might not be the full answer to it, but it might deliver parts of the answer. Uh, I see a recent report by the British Food Journal which concludes that, that too few urban farmers are making enough money to keep going. 
So something's going to have to change if uh, we're to realise this vision of growing in our cities. What do you think the barriers are to making our cities more productive agricultural spaces? I think, uh, if, I, um, if I may, um, we have to embrace technology more. Um, farming in the cities doesn't mean that we uh, have to pursue the romantic vision of uh, subscale uh, uh, multicultural farming, however nice it is. Uh, I think there are, if we talk about urban farming, we have to talk about uh, uh, fertigation, we have to talk about LED lights and uh, spectrum choice, we have to talk about uh, uh, the ability to grow in uh, such an intensity that we can bring modern uh, harvesting technology into place. We have to think about how to in, uh, implant um, uh, urban farms or greenhouses into points of sale all the way down to the uh, um, to the supermarket um, uh, so that uh, you have much more so that you are closer to demand um, that you are more intense uh, to be able to to deploy technology uh, and that you are also being able to deliver the very high quality standards that the food cycle requires. So uh, this is high tech, uh, highly exciting by the way, the, um, uh, the, 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 the venture community is starting to wake up to the opportunity, something that no one of us would have expected 10 years ago, that there is some grown up private equity investors really jockeying for their position in the urban, uh, urban farming space, all of that is good. And Colin, if I may add uh, a little bit to, because what Martin is talking about here and what you also referred to is very much what has happened in the sort of our part of the world, the developed uh, world. Um, I, I thought it could be interesting to bring a bit of perspective of what's happening in the developing part of the world yeah. too. Um, and here, uh, what, what we're actually seeing around many of the urban areas is that the, in, let's say in the suburban spaces or in the sort of ever growing parts of the cities is that there is a lot of degraded lands that are surrounding these urban spots. And one, um, a couple of companies, uh, we have talked a little bit about the Savori Institute, which is regenerating land across Africa and Australia and other places. Uh, but there are also a number of other players that, that find, I visited one in Indonesia recently, that basically is located 30 kilometers um, uh, or oh, sorry, 30 minutes outside one of the major fast-growing cities of Indonesia. And they had a lot of land, almost 200,000 hectares or four times the size of Singapore, which is highly degraded and basically left away and not being used anymore. It used to be used for locking and mineral uh, extraction, etc. Now what they're doing is they're finding a way to bring back life into this land and they are using old as well as new technologies, new technologies from torrefaction and, and production of energy from the wood uh, that they can basically put into the soils again, and also old technologies such as biochar that, that regenerates the soils that have been left disturbed and, and basically uh, unproductive for a number of years. And they're bringing life back to that land and now being able to connect it with the cities and produce food locally instead of what is happening today is that they are importing uh, meat production, uh, horticulture production, etc. So they have found a way of taking the failures of the linear system, you may add, uh, and finding the sort of affordable, available 
farmland around cities and regenerating that, reconnecting it with the cities, also the nutrients, they are basically taking that into a closed-loop system and then providing food back that is produced locally. So that's an interesting way of looking at it in the developing world where you may have actually more land available than what we are what we talked about before in the sort of urban farming from a, from a European point of view. And you also write that um, improved use of data will squeeze waste out along the value chain. Um, so more broadly, what role will IT play in squeezing waste out? I think it's a very important point here to make that uh, technology uh, will help us to um, get more resource efficient, which is good, uh, but it's not good enough. The work that we have done is indicating clearly that um, if we were just allowing technology to play at course, we would have results that we currently see in precision farming, which is a double-digit uh, decrease of fertilizer that you need per uh, ton of output. Uh, but it would not help us to really uh, rethink agriculture more broadly uh, in a way that is reinvesting into soil quality, in a way that is rebalancing uh, nutrients and returning nutrients to the field, in the way that is um, uh, investing more into quality over quantity, uh, in a way that allows uh, consumers to trace their um, um, food back to the field. All of that is something that you need to do out of the perspective of, a, of system design rather than just, um, uh, tech, uh, just point, uh, sort of point by point technology innovation. So I, I think there is a certain risk that uh, all of those technologies, including digital, which you referred to, Colin, um, are in, in fact helping us to make the current system more efficient rather than uh, to rethink the system more broadly. That's why it's very important to have uh, experimentation spaces in which we can experiment what a different future could look like. Um, there are very provident farmers, there are some uh, uh, forward-looking food producers, there are cities and user communities who are trying to do that and who are allowing themselves the degrees of freedom to, to do that. And I think what we need is systems competition rather than just product or technology competition um, in order to make sure that we really end up with the results that we want. In when we talk about um, the need to change systems, there are, there are obviously going to be lots of barriers in the way because the current system is set up to produce food in a particular way. So what do you see as the largest barriers to switching to a regenerative agricultural system? I think there are many answers to that, and I wished I had the one answer, Colin. Um, I think most of all, it, uh, uh, it forces us to, um, uh, to rethink um, long-term and short-term. Um, I think everyone is clear that in the long run, uh, we are undermining the productivity of our agricultural sector if we continue to do what we do. And by the way, everyone accepts that. I have heard very little uh, 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 pushback on that, uh, on that notion, even if you are heavily invested into today's conventional agricultural sector. Um, uh, at the same time, we are in a race to feed people, and uh, even more so, we are in a race to feed people with the diet that they want, which is more meat, um, which is uh, more sophisticated, um, uh, more uh, 
varied uh, and which of course uh, ask more more uh, products of the field. And in that race, of course, uh, it's much easier to um, squeeze out the next one and a half percent of productivity and uh, by intensifying and applying anything between um, um, uh, chemicals and digitals. Um, at the same time, sort of, uh, it doesn't really solve the problem of a closed loop, um, uh, sustainable or circular agriculture that we have been discussing in this uh, in this conversation. And so, uh, it needs to have a couple of investors and operators who are actually prepared to take the long-term perspective, and they will be coming back after anything between five to ten years to show um, that they have more product uh, productivity. Um, uh, at lower costs and lower investments. Uh, if we don't allow ourselves to wait for those five to ten years, then we won't see systems comp competition. And so it's very important that uh, we have a new set of players that is taking um, this long-term perspective into the game. Um, if we just look at success year over year, it's a very hard race uh, for long-term agriculture to win. And I apologize again for the audio of this recording. But if you'd like to learn more about regenerative agriculture or to read about the other themes explored in the book A New Dynamic 2, you can order your copy from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website. In addition, you can join me speaking to more contributors to the book by looking out for the other podcasts in this series. Next time, it's goodbye for now.